everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. This is Lori LeBay, your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Uh, we started Alzheimer's Speaks because my mom uh, lived with dementia symptoms for 30 years and just felt that we needed some new platforms and, and uh, new tools out there in terms of dealing with this disease. And so um, Alzheimer's Speaks was born. Bottom line, we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms that shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we believe that it's just critical for us to join forces and share knowledge and have these everyday conversations like we do on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Um, We need to talk about what is life really like and how can we remove stigmas attached to cognitive impairment and help people continue to live with purpose and also assist those who are caring for those diagnosed. At our core, Alzheimer's Speaks believes collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know it's working because of all of your likes and clicks and shares um, of our resources. Each of you has had a huge impact on raising not only our um, profile, but just by giving people more information out there about dementia. Um, you got us named as the number one influencer online, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And again, we cannot thank you enough um, for that recognition because it wouldn't have happened without you. And we really encourage you to, um, you know, as you're listening, go ahead and share this show with your sphere of influences. If it's your Facebook friends, your Twitter tribe, your Pinterest peeps, your, you know, Google colleagues or, you know, uh, LinkedIn uh, folks, it doesn't make any difference. There are so many people out there dealing with dementia that don't talk about it, that you don't even know are dealing with it. And the more information we can push out in front of them, the more comfortable they're going to feel to grab it and engage and learn. And that's really what it's all about. So again, thank you all so much for for raising our profile and sharing information because Alzheimer's Speaks isn't... um, isn't a one-way or the highway type program. We really do believe in raising everyone's voice. And that's why we're excited today uh, to have with us uh, as a co-host, I have uh, Harry Urban with us from Pennsylvania. Welcome, Harry. But thank you, Roy, for having me. Well, do you want to tell people a little bit about you? Because I think you just have a fascinating little bio there. (laughs) I'm not sure how fascinating it is, but um, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with dementia, of the Alzheimer's type. And uh, like everybody else, I, I went through the hardships of, of living with dementia. Uh, I had quite a few uh, pity parties and everything else, but uh, it didn't take me long to realize that's not for me. And I started advocating a better life for all of us living with dementia. Yeah, you you have a pretty amazing uh, history in terms of, of what Harry has done. He has a group on Facebook called Forget Me Nots. He's been involved with Dementia Mentors. He's 
Uh, you even uh, spun off a, a Spanish-speaking group um, using, using translation uh, to help people uh, connect. And so uh, here, he's, here he's got a, he has a passion to make a change here, and I just feel so honored to have you with us as my co-host today. Our guest today is Judd Levine, and he is the Executive Vice President and Director of Programs and Services at Caring Kind. And for those of you who don't know um, what Caring Kind is, is Caring Kind was formerly the Alzheimer's Association of New York City uh, chapter, and um, and they basically pulled away and created Caring Kind, and they have been New York City's leading experts in Alzheimer's and dementia care for more than three decades. Jen has been with the organization himself for 27 years. He holds a master's degree in applied human development, which uh, specializes in gerontology and community recreation services uh, from Columbia University's Teachers College. And he is also trained as a creative arts therapist. He has his postgraduate training in group process from the Center of um, Advancement of Group Studies. And he is pursuing, it sounds like, it sounds like Jed likes to learn because he is pursuing his uh, <laughs> certification in uh, psychoanal- uh, psychoanalytic training program at the Center for Human Development. So welcome to the show, Jed. How are you today? I'm fine, Lori, and thank you so much for asking me to, uh, you know, share um, this information today. And I, I couldn't agree more with uh, your intro that, uh, you know, there, there are many roads to Rome, and the more that people learn and share information, uh, first of all, the less alone they feel and the better they are prepared to deal uh, with either having uh, Alzheimer's or a related disorder or uh, caring for someone. Well, uh, thank you. Well, before we get started with the line of questioning that I have for you, I always like to ask uh, our guests if they have been personally touched in their own family or circle of friends with somebody with dementia. Well, uh, yes, actually. Um, Although when I first started, which is so many years ago now, that was not the case. But over the years, uh, one of my, actually both of my grandmothers had some kind of dementia, one when I was quite young and another when I was uh, much more an adult, and uh, then several aunts and uncles. And my dad had some kind of uh, cognitive impairment, probably related to a medical condition. Uh, So I have personally lived with uh, this and know... um, how exhausting it is and how demanding it is, but also know that there are opportunities for engagement and connection and uh, and to be with that person in in a new way yeah the the gifts are I think are so under talked about when it comes to this disease, and you know with my journey with my mom, you know who had it for thirty years, um, I always tell people her disease is my biggest gift because she just taught me so many life lessons during that thirty years that i wouldn 't have gotten i don 't believe um, without her illness in hand and and mm-hmm. um, it was just really a beautiful mm-hmm. side um, to the disease process um, if you if you choose to look for it you will you will find it there. Now, um, Caring Kind has just announced a brand new program called Comfort Matters, and it's kind of, it's going to revolutionize dementia care in long-term facilities. So tell us about this. I'm really excited to hear more about Comfort Matters. Well, Comfort Matters is uh, 
is a, an evidence-based program developed by our partners at, at Beatitudes Campus in Phoenix, Arizona. And what it does is pre present a whole new way, a whole new paradigm of caring for people with advanced dementia. Um, we, we're starting looking at, at uh, first initially in, in uh, nursing homes, but now we're trying to apply this to every setting where people with advanced dementia um, live. And, you know, it is, it, it was an answer for us to the question that we had been struggling with, because we'd done a lot of training with nursing homes and we had tried to help improve care. We were really trying to answer the question, what should our role as an organization, as an advocacy and support and education um, organization be in helping to improve care for people in residential care who have dementia? And um, I hired a consultant who had many years of experience working in, uh, in, in uh, nursing homes, and she heard about this model, and we sent her out to Phoenix, and she came back and said, you know what, they have it. They got it. It really works. Now, it took the Beatitudes folks a long time to get to where they are, and we are, uh, but we've learned a lot from them and from our partnership with them. So what we wanted to do was to bring this, this comfort-based approach to person-centered care. Um, for people with dementia to New York City, see how it works in a large urban environment um, where our homes are, are generally much larger than they are in the rest of the country, and to see what we needed to do to bring this um, approach to care, which can really, which really focuses on each individual's um, individual comfort and what organizational adaptations needed to take place, how are we going to get this done, and how are we going to do it so that it would be sustainable and it would continue to grow, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Okay. Now, um, one, of the, one of my favorite sayings of, of Harry's, um, and I say this just about every time I speak because I just I love it, and I think it probably goes into your... Your comfort matters, as, as Harry said one time when we were doing, I think it was a dementia chats, he said, you know, I like to relax before I got dementia. I still do, you know, and just knowing what a person's comfort zone is um, mm -hmm. and, and when they're feeling centered and when they're feeling balanced. Um, Harry, what does this Comfort Matters program sound like to you? Is that something that would be appealing to you if you ever had to, let's say, move into a care facility? My my whole life is is based around that. I I believe in I believe in care before cure. Uh, I I visit I visit so many nursing facilities, and I get to meet people in all all various stages of dementia, and uh, I stand and I talk with them, and. I don't care what stage they're in, they all have the same common problems. And to me, living this disease, being around it for so long, it is just common sense to me. But to to others, it's not because they are not able to enter into our world. So they don't know what comfort is to us. They They try to keep us busy. Uh, they, they think that we always have to be busy because uh, uh, if we don't, uh, who knows what's going to happen to us. But, but if, um, if somebody is just sitting in their chair and the first thing they think is, well, 
you can't communicate with them. But it's not. It's not. They're in the comfort zone, and let them go. You know, Harry, I, I couldn't agree with you more that I, I, I think one of the basic principles of, of our approach and the approach of the Beatitudes is that each individual with dementia is the their expert on what makes them comfortable. And the fact that having a disease like dementia or Alzheimer's is, is, is tiring and people need to rest. And so one of the kind of the um, pinnacles, uh, one of the principles of the um, approach is allowing people to rest when they're tired. And, you know, you're, you said common sense. It absolutely is common sense. And allowing people to eat what they want to eat when they want to eat it. So a really liberalized diet. Um, you know, activities of daily living like dressing and shaving and, you know, brushing your teeth and grooming and uh, all of that are done on each individual's terms. And people can, uh, you know, participate in activities that they enjoy when they want to, and they're allowed to just kind of, you know, relax on their own if they want to as well. So um, it's, you know, and, and underneath this um, kind of one of the major principles is that as the disease progresses and people no longer can communicate in words, they're going to communicate through their behaviors, through their actions. And very often when somebody looks like they're upset or angry or uh, distressed, they're going to express that through um, behavior. And often that's because they are in pain and they can't tell you they're in pain, but their behavior is communicating that. So being able to identify pain and then treat it appropriately can make everybody more comfortable. Makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, can you tell us, uh, Jed, you know, why did you guys decide to kind of take a key role in creating this innovative training project? You know, it's, that's a, uh, it, was, it was exciting for us to uh, have this vision and have this goal of really improving care for people with dementia in the advanced stages who are in nursing homes. Because despite some really well-meant efforts and people struggling to do good work, and I know I've worked in nursing homes myself for many, many years. I know there were really good people trying to do good work, but there wasn't a system that supported it. And when we found the model that Beatitudes had, it was like, let's see if we can make this work in, in New York City. And um, it took a long time. It took a lot of money, a lot of funders. It took the, uh, we decided originally we were going to use one nursing home. And then our consultant, Ann, said, Let, you know, let's make it two or three because competition is not a bad thing, you know, and, and also to see which principles were going to be universal across the three settings and which were going to be specific to each of the, um, the uh, organizations that we were working in. So it was a, a matter of, of having this um, vision of bringing this Comfort Matters program uh, to three nursing homes who had already made an investment in good care. And, but even with that, they were frustrated that they knew they could do better but didn't have the tools to do it. And now they've been given the tools to do it. And we started this program in July of 2012. So it's been almost, you know, what, almost five years now, um, been four and a half years. So we've seen a lot of progress. And the most wonderful thing is that the three homes 
each have at least one unit that's now been accredited by Comfort Matters at Beatitudes, and they are looking at expanding that accreditation to other units in the nursing homes because it works. And once you see it works, you can't kind of unlearn it. Mm-hmm. You, and you know that this is a model of care really for everybody. Okay. How are, how are they dealing with, and I know here in Minnesota, we have such a high rate of turnover of staff. Um, mm-hmm. And when I go around the country and speak, I hear that all over. How are they, how are they dealing with that to be able to maintain that, that knowledge and that training for their staff? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we have found, and that certainly Beatitudes has found as well, is that staff turnover is reduced as a result of the training. People want to work on the dementia units. That's a rarity. You know, that's unheard of. And um, so the program itself is kind of self, is, you know, uh, self-rewarding in that way for the homes that, that are engaged in it. And uh, there is an identified um, kind of unit coordinator, uh, Comfort Matters, uh, specialist who works with all of the staff and brings new people on board and does the training and the education and the um, mentoring in order for people to kind of get what this means to do it in this way. And this becomes a standard of care, um, an expectation of how we're going to be treating people with dementia. Their families are engaged. They understand that this is the model. They love this model. And what one family member I I remember said, you know, you gave me my husband back and you gave me my life back. You know, so grateful for finding a place after her husband had been uh, discharged from, uh, rejected from several nursing homes and and, uh, ended up in a psychiatric unit because he had behavioral symptoms that were actually very you know, well-managed using the comfort matters approach because mm-hmm. they understand who he is, when he wanted to sleep, when he wanted to eat, what he wanted to eat, what he liked to do, and they provided an environment where he could flourish. Now, um, can I ask, in this program, is it is it just direct care and medical staff that are trained, or is housekeeping and maintenance and... and everybody. And, okay. Everybody. I love that. Everybody. So recreation therapy, social work, dietary uh, right, the the uh, housekeeping staff, and often those are the folks who who really know mm-hmm. and and can get engaged with people. And uh, you know, it's not only the direct, you know, the CNAs, the certified nursing assistants, and the nurses and the doctors, but it's everybody. And what was critical to its success was that the administrators, the folks who run the place, uh, were bought into this idea and encouraged staff, supported staff, and made this investment in uh, staff training and implementation of the program. So uh, having that leadership, but having it go down through every layer of the um, organization and also critical to its success was the weekly meeting on the unit that was interdepartmental. Everybody on that unit met and you know, talked about problem solved, understood what was going right and what needed to improve, and that those meetings are still ongoing today. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I, I love that uh, whole span of kind of maintenance to administration because I, I think, like you said, some of those are key players that um, really aren't given credit for their interactions. 
um, right. with residents. And I think that that's really important. Harry, how does that make you feel that a program like this is being um, instituted and um, hopefully will expand? I, I was going to jump in to, um, to ask some questions uh, because this is, this is a topic that is very dear to my heart. Uh, there's so many facilities say we're dementia friendly. Well, what is dementia friendly? Nobody knows. Everybody has their own concept of dementia friendly. Uh, now, when when I'm sitting here listening, I'm hearing of of Hogan in in, in the dementia friendly in the in the uh, uh, the Netherlands which is a true dementia-friendly community. Uh, in other words, it, it's, a, it's an enclosed facility, but everybody has to be trained to be around dementia people. The, the staff, not only the staff, but um, uh, if you had a plumber come in, the plumber would be, be trained on, on dementia-friendly. How, how to be around somebody living with, with dementia, electricians, everybody else. Uh, nobody really has that concept, but I'm really excited about what I'm hearing now, that, that there is such a program that is beginning to understand, beginning to look through our eyes what we want. A lot mm-hmm. of times um, people look at us and they say, well, he has a behavior problem. Uh, so what they do is they try to fix it, uh, or they try to hide it, and instead of or they try to medicate, to find out what it is. Yep, you're absolutely right. And at the very base of this is saying, you know, we need to look at everything through the lens of the person with dementia, and what are they trying to communicate through their behavior if it is a behavior quote problem? Um, and often, you know, they people are tried to, um, to be uh, physicians will will medicate somebody and inappropriately medicate them and give them antipsychotic medications, which does nothing to improve the behavior. Um, and it may remove that individual's only means of communication and not solving the underlying problem, which might be that they are, they, they are in pain or something else. So they, um, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's a really critical um, principle of the, uh, uh, palliative care approach. One, one thing I'd, I'd also like to add to it that is we need we need more programs on how to communicate with somebody with dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see um, sign language being taught to people with dementia in the early stages simply because um, I see it so often. Somebody gets into the later stages of dementia. The first thing they do, somebody, they see them rubbing their head or something, and somebody comes up and says, do you have a headache? Um, They plant that seed. And, of course, the person with dementia is going to say, yeah. You know, things like that. They don't know Mm -hmm. how to communicate. But with with American Sign Language, if the person with dementia can learn that at an early stage, if they do have a pain and they do have a, a hurt someplace, 
they don't have to verbally talk to somebody. They can use sign language to use the sign for my shoulder hurt. I have a headache. I have a toothache, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm hot. You know, things like that. But um, I don't see, at least here in Pennsylvania, I'm pushing for it, but I don't see too many programs like that being instituted. Mm-hmm. We use um, in our um, uh, Comfort Matters program a, a behavior-based pain assessment tool. So it might not be as specific about where a pain is, but t- so that um, individuals who are caring for the person with dementia can better read their um, nonverbal communication and their facial expression, their breathing, um, their um, uh, perhaps uh, verbal outbursts or, or physical outbursts and understand that something is going on and that it's not just, quote, the way they are, which is sometimes you hear, or, uh, or that it's um, uh, you know, behavior that needs to be controlled by um, antipsychotic medications. That's what I was trying to draw out. What, mm-hmm. what methods is it? Because what you described was, was perfect in my, in my eyes, but most people don't know that. Right. Most people don't know. Look into their eyes to see if they're in pain. You know mm-hmm. things like that. But when you said that, I mean that that was perfect. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think the uh, the nonverbal skills in terms of communication, uh, we we kind of forget. Um, how mm-hmm. powerful they are, and that they're three quarters of, of actually our communication as a whole. Mm-hmm. And when disease comes um, about, uh, people really kind of detach because they're in a in a scattered state. They're kind of in crisis and things. So, I would imagine your program works a lot on helping people um, utilize those nonverbals and be able to investigate Absolutely. what they're what they're seeing and how they're. Um, you know, kind of putting that investigative hat on, trying to trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's what, and um, and sometimes it's trial and error. I mean, we're not always going to absolutely gonna, we're absolutely. not always going to get it perfect. And we always say, you know, we're we're that that uh, the we need to be detectives. We need to find out, kind of understand what is the basis for this uh, new behavior or this change. And also, we can use non. Uh, verbal communication as a means to console somebody and to comfort them and to soothe them. So uh, there are lots of ways to to provide that um, without verbal communication. Yeah, and, I, and, and I, I oh, go ahead. I was saying that if, if people want to learn more about um, the uh, palliative care project, um, they are, can. We have a guideline that we published called Palliative Care for People with Dementia, Why Comfort Matters in Long-Term Care. And they can get that on our website at caringkindnyc.org. And um, you'll see under publications or in the palliative care section that it's there. And in there also is information about that uh, behavior-based um, uh, pain assessment tool called PAIN-AD, or Pain Assessment in Advanced Dementia Scale. And uh, so that might be helpful for some folks. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, maybe I should have you um, back up a second. And because a lot of our audience probably doesn't even know what palliative care is. We hear about hospice. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. But why don't you just give us your definition of palliative care? 
Palliative care is actually very simple. Palliative care is the uh, treatment of or prevention of distress and treatment uh, keeping people comfortable. And uh, it should be applied uh, no matter where somebody is, even you know, in any kind of a disease. We all want to be comfortable. Um, it's very, you know, it, it is a component of hospice care, but hospice care is limited to those folks who are um, determined to have six months left of life. Palliative care should be integrated into all aspects of care, even if one has a, a treatable illness, and often palliative care is associated with, with cancer care or with HIV AIDS care. What's really, um, I think, so remarkable about our program is that we are really connecting palliative care approaches to people with dementia and why it's so important uh, to understand the unique needs of people with dementia and the unique skills that people need to have in order to provide palliative care to them. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, Harry, any comment you want to make there? No, don't. That, that is, uh, I, have, I am really anxious to, uh, to look that up and get a copy of those guidelines. I'd like to read over them. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, you know, we've we've kind of talked a little bit about um, what makes Comfort Matters so um, innovative, but is there anything else that you want to add to our conversation so far on that? Well, I think, you know, not only is it, um, you know, it's intuitively um, the right thing to do, and I think we all want to be comfortable. And comfort is a um, a concept that everybody can understand. I think when we talk about person-centered care, I think it's a little more vague, although I think it's important. And I think also to back up this this intuitive uh, approach that it's the right way and we see the results uh, when we do it. But the initial project um, involved a very extensive um, evaluation. Uh, so we were looking at a variety of, of um, outcomes. We were looking at staff knowledge and uh, attitudes towards palliative care for people with dementia. We were looking at uh, resident behavior, and we were looking also at costs, and uh, we were looking at uh, the pharmacies, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical use, seeing what were there any changes. And although the the actual evaluation component of our project was just the first 12 months of the project, and we've moved on a great deal from there. We did see that there was a decreased use of antipsychotics, which is something that's supported by the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services by CMS, and an increase in pain medications, which is important. And we uh, also found out that this was a kind of a cost-neutral approach, same staffing as any other um, nursing home. And we were able to, you know, manage the costs so that it did not cost more to provide really good care. And that, I think, is very important uh, and will be very attractive to um, the nursing home industry. I would like to think so. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. everybody's budgets are so tight these days, and, oh, yeah. and that is oh, yeah. a huge, huge factor. And um, you know, I, I think one of the things that you know you've been talking about too, um, and I, I don't know all the specifics of the program, but um, it sounds like there's a simplicity um, to yeah. the program, so it's it's easy for people to get, and and that I love because that's when I go out and I speak and I train. I always say, if it's complicated, it's not going to work. You know, it's got to be simple. It's got to be heartfelt, and um, 
And then, you know, that's how we really shift our culture is, is making these little teeny changes that have huge impact. Um, you know, walking the walk and, and, um, and um, letting others see it by example. And it just kind of mm-hmm. infuses a culture change um, all on its own. Is that kind of what you saw with um, the Absolutely. attitudes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think the, you know, we didn't have to prove the merits of, of the comfort matters approach because the attitude had done a lot of um, uh, evidence-based work uh, to prove the effectiveness of it. What we were challenged with was how is this going to work in a large uh, setting where there are you know a large number of staff, many different departments? What did what organizationally did we have to? Uh, what kind of adaptations had to take place in order for this to work well? And that was very much our role at Caring Kind was to kind of be the um, the coach and the um, cheerleader and uh, helping people identify areas where there were communication problems or there was, uh, you know, we, we didn't want this to be seen as just Karen's program. We wanted this to be seen as the facilities program and everybody has a role. Everybody has, an, has a responsibility to make this work. And because it does work, it, it is, uh, you know, people wanted to participate. And indeed, there were, um, I remember one home saying that when the surveyors came from the state, they wanted to kind of be on the dementia unit because it was the quietest, it was the calmest, it was the easiest place for them to get their work done. Well, you, you don't know, hear not that too the usual often. State, you know, I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yep. So um, this is, you know, it's something that, that it reinforces itself is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it needs that person at the top who's going to keep reinforcing how important this is for everybody. And I remember when I first spoke to the director at, at um, Beatitudes and I asked her, um, I said, it's wonderful that you give everybody permission to do this program. I said, we don't give them permission. We expect everybody to do it. So this is their standard of care. This is their, this is their approach and now we're, you know, we were the first three homes in New York State to do this. There are other homes around the country that have become certified by, um, or accredited rather, by Comfort Matters at, at Beatitudes Campus. So there's a lot of uh, interest in this, and it's because it works. Everybody, it's a, everybody uh, benefits. The resident with dementia, the staff who are working on that unit, the families, everybody the families want to visit more because it's a more pleasant and and uh, loving place to be. Wow, that's fantastic! When you say that the um, the surveyors want to go sit in the quiet space in the dementia, I mean that is just uh, like a night and day switch. Typically, absolutely. so wow, that is that is absolutely fantastic, and and not only is it is it quiet and peaceful, but um, hopefully it's making a big impact on those surveyors in terms of what's important and what needs to be rated as quality care. Um, absolutely, and so part of our our work was to engage the regulators and the, the folks from the state in understanding what this is, and so part of our approach is making sure that every thing that we're doing to make somebody comfortable, whether it's, you know, Mrs. Jones wants to, you know, make sure that she has her makeup on every day, or, you know, um, Mr. Johnson likes to nap after lunch. 
And so we put that in the care plan. And once that's in the care plan, it's codified as part of the documentation, and we're following the care plan. If we didn't let Mr. Johnson nap after lunch, he would be really grumpy and annoyed and distressed and maybe become, you know, um, uh, much more difficult to, quote, manage. But because we understand what his routines are and what makes him comfortable, that's what works. Wow, that's... that's... From my point of... Oh, I'm sorry. Nope, go ahead, Harry. From my, from my point of view, uh, one thing that is a necessity in any care package is meeting the spiritual needs of that mm. resident. Now, when I go around talking to various uh, care facilities, that's, that's probably one of the first questions I bring up about do you have any any spiritual programs here and uh, most of them are very proud of it because they say yeah once a month we have we have a minister come in and 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 uh, and have a group and they talk and so forth and so on I said well you know once a month is fine but what happens if I want to pray someday <laughs> is there is there something there that that will um allow me to have my spiritual relief. I mean, it's nice to have things nice and pretty and things like that, but but I, I dwell more on the emotional side. Now, a lot of times people say, well, as they advance, they lose the religion. And I'm well, I, here to tell you, no, that's not true. Well, I couldn't, again, I, I agree with you more, and indeed um, the spiritual practice if it's important to somebody if it's part of what they who they are and what makes them comfortable it might be helping um one of the residents uh, you know say the rosary every day or do her you know pray or um uh, connect with um members of her church or synagogue who come in uh, once a week to to connect with that individual and we also do here at Caring Kind and have been for the past 10 years, uh, we do a uh, interfaith workshop with the healthcare chaplaincy called Keeping Faith in Mind, Addressing Spiritual Care for Persons with Dementia and Their Families. And uh, that is limited to the attendees are chaplains and other clergy. And um, this year we'll be doing it again on March 30th here in New York City. And it's always a, a sold out event. Uh, there's a tremendous need uh, on the side of the clergy and, and the chaplains who are providing spiritual care uh, for residents in nursing homes and hospitals and other settings to understand how best to minister to and address the spiritual needs of people with dementia and their family caregivers. Well, that's great to hear because I do think that that is an important piece for many people in their life and um, a critical thing to to keep in mind. Um, can you give us um, an example of comfort matters in, in action? Um, maybe some st- a story or so that you have heard from staff or maybe something you've, you've uh, personally seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are, are many of them. Um, you know, one of them was a story that I alluded to earlier about a man named Anthony who had been uh, – moved through several emergency rooms and psychiatric facilities and and various uh, residences uh, 
where he was continually rejected because he looked combative and he was upset and he was, you know, he needed to be um, uh, medicated. And so he was uh, really in some ways um, just not um, no longer uh, connected to the world around him. When he first moved into one of the homes, Isabella, that we work with, um, they had difficulty getting him to bed at night. He didn't want to go to bed at you know at the usual time, and they had difficulty getting up in the morning the next day for breakfast. He was really he would resist. He'd emphatically push people away, push the staff away. Um, and when they brought his wife in, she said, you know, Anthony had been a doorman who had worked the evening shift. So he wasn't going to bed at 9 or 10 at night. He was getting off at work at midnight, Mm -hmm. and he would stay up until 4. He'd have a sandwich, and then he'd go to bed. And so the staff allowed him to stay up until, uh, uh, you know, late in the – early in the morning, give him a a snack um, before going to bed, and then he would sleep until noon the next day. And he'd wake up, and he was – you know, much more amenable to getting up and getting dressed and doing the personal care. And so, um, you know, his wife calls him the, the, the poster boy for, uh, for sleeping late and the poster boy for palliative care. And, you know, she's the one who said, you know, and it was, it's, a, it's a simple change, but it's not such a simple change because making sure that they had food around the clock on a snack cart available for him at four in the morning before he went to bed is not something that most nursing homes can, you know, do with the snap of their fingers. Um, so he is doing really well. Um, and there are, you know, one, the, the, uh, exploring with his wife to understand who he was and what his routines were was key to this and then also being able to implement those changes to to make this truly um a comfort approach personalized care plan for him um and that all the all the shifts needed to shift what they what they were expecting to do because um you know uh, the fact that he's now getting up <laughs> you know um at noon is different for people in the middle of the day shift and having to, you know, rather than doing morning care, it's now early afternoon care. So um, those kinds of things. So the, the, the facility policies and procedures had to support this flexibility, but the payoff was great because you had a resident who was no longer combative, no longer upset, no longer distressed, a family member who was really grateful, and he was much easier to care for. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, a really good example. Yeah, my mom, I remember when she was in the nursing home, and they would just, oh, try to get her to go to bed. And she just wanted to stay up and watch David Letterman. And, right. And finally, they Who just wouldn't? let her have her nightie and her robe on, and she went out into the lounge. Everyone else was asleep, and she was just a one little happy camper. And it made mm-hmm. everybody's life easier, <laughs> you know. Yep. And it was just such a simple thing to be able to do, to get to know somebody. Um, another thing that I think would fall right into your comfort matters that, that staff did, which I just thought was brilliant, is my mom started believing, um, she used to watch JAG and uh, a TV show, and she used mm-hmm. to believe it as being real. And so she would get, oh. she would quiz the staff to see if they knew what was going on in the world. And if she didn't, <laughs> she would get livid and she would start with a civics lecture to them. And she's like, you need to know what's going on in this world. And, and she would just get really riled up. 
And so the staff took it upon themselves to, uh, they decided that every week one staff person would watch the show JAG. And then they would log what, what happened during the show so that they could talk with my mom to keep her calm. And it was, it was just a, such a brilliant, simple little thing um, to just keep her happy and calm. And, and, you know, everybody had fun with it, you know, had great conversation with it. It wasn't making fun of her in any way when I say they had fun with it, but um, they were able to, to engage in her world, um, which is just such a critical step. And I know, Harry, you talk about that a lot, about, you know, yes. entering the world of the person with dementia. Um, why don't we go, I can't believe we're flying through our time here so quickly. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit, um, Jed, about some of the results? You know, I know that this is, you've been working on this for a while now, um, but with Comfort Matters model in the Alzheimer's and dementia patients, um, can you tell us, you know, has it affected um, the the anti-psychotic uh, medications and things that are that are given? Absolutely, absolutely. So we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, uh, kind of basic um, change in how care is being given, and we're seeing change in um, how how much effort is being. Um, given to understanding that individual and finding out what what comforts that individual what are their routines what are they what do they do for a living what um what are the kinds of things that are, can be used to distract them if they get upset so we're seeing you know those kinds of um uh you know basic i think shift in in how care is being thought about and how care is being implemented. But there are some other very, you know, um, concrete results uh, that we've been able to measure and that the homes continue to measure on an ongoing basis. We're seeing a decrease in what's called resistance to care. That's when somebody's trying to go through personal care, bathing, grooming, shaving, mm-hmm. uh, toothbrushing, et cetera. They, um, if you do it at a time with when the individual is going to be more um, uh, tolerate it or be more amenable to it, you're not going to have the resistance. And so, uh, and if you do it in a way that, that understands which approach is best for that individual, you're going to see a decrease in this resistance to care. We're seeing an increase in staff knowledge and, and uh, in their appreciation of palliative care for, for people with dementia. And we are seeing a uh, decrease in the use of uh, nutritional supplements, because people are getting, uh, having their caloric needs met through food. You know, food is a great source of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I think that even people who are quite advanced in the disease, if you, you know, pop chocolate in their mouth, they're going to like, oh, this, this is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to enjoy it. And that kind of, you know, recognizing that even people with very advanced dementia can still appreciate and enjoy and be part of uh, this very kind of um, you know sensory pleasure of of good food and food that they like. One good example is I remember from uh, our partners at Cobble Hill um, that they went out to the grocery store to find somebody's. Uh, he really liked a particular brand of frozen pizza, and that's what he would have as a snack. And they 
went out and got it for him and you know made it for him and it was just giving him you know what was meaningful and and uh, familiar to him we yes we are seeing an, a uh, a change in the uh, use of um antipsychotic medications so we're seeing a decrease an appropriate decrease in that and we're seeing an increase in the use of pain medications uh you know sometimes it's just a Tylenol and what what used to happen is that uh, when people uh, were on Tylenol it was on a, a PRN or the person has to uh you know request it you know as needed well the person with dementia can't tell you when it's needed so the medical uh you know uh, directors were putting it on a standing order you know if it was uh, appropriate and uh seeing that people were resting better at night and that they were less distressed so sometimes even something as simple as a Tylenol can make um a difference and um and then sometimes more uh you know stronger medications needed to be used judiciously and appropriately but they can greatly reduce the pain uh that many older people have of arthritic pain and and so forth so um everybody you know wants to be comfortable and the quality of life and you just have to think about each individual who's listening when you are in pain you are often distracted you can be grumpy you can be cranky uh you can't think clearly um because you're focused on what's causing the distress and the pain when the pain is alleviated your life is changed and so that's you know pain is such an uh, an important kind of uh one of the pillars of this program is being able to recognize identify and appropriately treat pain in people who can't tell you my knee hurts or my ankle hurts or my back hurts um so you know the, the results have been wonderful i will also say that the results in terms of the team building and the connection on the units cross disciplines has been phenomenal the support of the administrators and the endorsement of the administrators their firm belief in this is just extraordinary and when we published our guidelines and sent them out and they've now gone to about i think 3000 nursing homes around the country um we are you know hearing from people who are genuinely interested in improving care for people with dementia in the advanced stages using this approach so i think that's one of the great uh, you know benefits uh one of the great results of of our project well in one of the things this, uh, oh go ahead harry <laughs> i keep putting in i'm sorry no you can, are fine can, can this model be used also i i know it can be used in care facilities and stuff like that but can it also be used for at home care absolutely absolutely so we have a very extensive uh dementia care training program for home care workers here at Caring Kind in New York City and so we have integrated these approaches into our teaching about providing really superb care for people with dementia and we are looking at how we can uh, I'd like to see these principles applied in hospitals I'd like to see them applied in in uh home care um in the provision of home care it just you know this is this makes such intuitive sense and it's going to be a benefit to everybody um who is going to uh receive the care so you know and and our my uh our partners at Beatitude and Tina Alonzo who's the director of the dementia care program of the Comfort Matters program at at um 
Beatitudes, you know, uh, says that, you know, the, that this is something that's not limited to residential care, but really is uh, applicable to any person with dementia at any stage of the disease, actually, um, across the, the continuum of the disease and in any setting. Yeah, I, um, I, I, th- I think that that's great to hear. Will you be doing um, training programs for family in the future? We uh, actually have done some uh, education programs uh, for uh, family members, understanding kind of what are the core principles of, of palliative care for people with advanced dementia. We will continue to do that. We, we do that through our newsletter. And um, so we will, you know, uh, we also trained all of our support group uh, leaders. We have 95 support groups here in New York City so that they understand these principles and can use that to, um, you know, improve the support group experience for, for the members of their support groups. So, yes, well, we have really integrated uh, and adopt, adapted or adopted uh, palliative care as a core principle uh, for caring kind um, because it just, it, it, we know it works. And um, it is of such value to people. You know, often you hear, um, and I'm sure you hear this, that in dementia, you know, that when somebody gets a diagnosis of dementia, there's, there's nothing you can do. I so strongly disagree that I know there's so much we can do to improve the lives of people who are living with dementia and for those family members who are caring for them. And, and this approach um, puts people on the side of, of therapy and of uh, something positive that we can do to improve the lives of people living with dementia. Wonderful. Harry, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I have dementia, so uh, of course I have a page full of notes here that I don't understand. Um, <laughs> is is the website and stuff going to be posted on Alzheimer's Speaks website, or that uh, we can reference it to get to the comfort matters? Yep, yep, that will go live. Um... And uh, we'll have their helpline and uh, that people can call or that they can email and then they'll be able to go direct to their site. Um, the website itself is caringkindnyc.org. Uh, that's caringkindnyc.org. And their helpline is 646 744 2900. Again, that's 646 744 2900. And um, again, you can go to for for more information. One thing I would like to be able to add um, to the blog post, though, Jed, is um, after the show, if you can get me the link to the guidelines so we can send people sure. to that directly, I think that would be really sure. helpful. Um, right. I think they, people... um, they can do caringkindnyc.org slash palliative care, mm-hmm. and you'll get it. Okay. Well, then but I... I, we can send that to you, Lori, no problem. Okay. We'd be delighted to do that. Wonderful. Well, any last comments that you that you have, Jed? 
I think, you know, this is still a work in progress and, and we'd like to see more homes uh, engaged in this. And I want to especially thank, uh, you know, our partners at Beatitudes and uh, Tina and her team who've been just so instrumental in, in teaching us and helping us bring this to New York City. And I also want to acknowledge the, the three nursing homes that have been, uh, you know, committed to this project and have you know, really made an investment and done the hard work, and that would be Isabella Geriatrics uh, and uh, Jewish Home, uh, the new Jewish Home, and uh, Cobble Hill uh, Healthcare Center in uh, Brooklyn. So uh, they've done a phenomenal job. Oh, that it's just it's fantastic to hear, and um, I, you know, I I think you guys are doing wonderful work, and um, I I give you all kudos. Um, I know breaking Thank off you. from the association is never an easy decision when you decide to take another path, and it's so wonderful to hear that your continued work is is moving forward and you are adding so much to community value. So thank you for that. And and please let us know as you roll out other initiatives. Um, you know, we would love to, we would love to help you spread the word any way that we can here on Alzheimer's. Wonderful. Great. Um, and Harry, as always, I love having you as my co-host. You always add so much to the show. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to wrap up here with just some uh, program highlights. Um, if you haven't listened to some of our latest radio shows, feel free to hit our archives. We've been doing this for years, so we have tons of shows. But we just had uh, Talking with Dementia with Dr. Macy Smith. Uh, we also had a recent show called Love's Light Can Remove the Darkness of Dementia. We've talked about uh, music as a gift. We had uh, Dementia Raw training on. Um, lots of fun, fun uh, uh, people and uh, sharing their passions in the world of dementia. As for um, our uh, studio here at Alive and Social, you might want to check out a show called What's for Dinner Tonight with Rachel Perrin, who is the culinary director for Kowalski's Market. And she just does a really short uh, episode. It's only 10 to 15 minutes long, but it's perfect if you're trying to figure out what the heck's for dinner tonight? You can also go to kowalskis.com and uh, get a full seasonal menu suggestion um, is, is available to you there. And Kowalskis is K-O-W-A-L-S-K-I-S, kowalskis.com. I also want to point out um, our latest dementia chats. We talked about moving and construction and remodeling and how that can affect a person with dementia. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and uh, on our homepage, you can click right on that or you can go to our initiatives and projects page and find out more there. As for our blog, we had a couple of um, beautiful poems submitted um, regarding Valentine's. So one is called The Caregiver's Valentine by Karen Brenner, who is the author of You Say Goodbye and We Say Hello. And another was uh, an anonymous poem that was given to me when when I was traveling um, and doing some screenings of the film His Neighbor Phil. And uh, I titled that post called Valentine's Day, The Side Not Talked About, uh, The Darker Side um, which is really about a beautiful poem on grief and gratitude. Last, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Call Alert Center, which is a wonderful, wonderful 
organization that is uh, very reasonable priced if you want to protect your loved one in case they would happen to wander. Uh, you don't want to wait till the last minute with something like that, but they can push out via social media um, within 10 minutes and work with the police department, a fabulous flyer, um, to help you uh, secure your loved one. Last, uh, I haven't talked about the memory cafes for a while, so go to our projects and initiatives uh, to find out more about memory cafes, which are for people with early memory loss and their care partners. They're really a place to gather and build community. Uh, very last, I better mention, or I'll be in trouble, we're going to be doing a caregiver uh, dementia cruise November 30th, and um We'll have more details probably in the next week, but just mark that on your calendar. If you're looking to go on vacation, we're going to be heading to the Bahamas, and this will be a true family cruise, so all are welcomed. But we will be having a lot of education as well, and our goal is to shift uh, dementia care from crisis to comfort. Have a blessed week, everyone. Talk soon. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.